and welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 34. I'm your host, and with me is our regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hello. We're here to talk about movies. You know, I have to be honest with you, I don't think I've seen a single movie uh, in the past two weeks. I watched uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor instead, which is like a movie, but that it, it's also nine hours long. So actually, much like Twin Peaks Season 3, it's the most film you can be. And by that, I mean not a film at all. It's true. But it was good. People should watch it if you like sad horror, and I do. I like sad horror a lot. Uh, I feel like it's um, not always, but it's one of your favorite genres. Yeah. Has anyone actually watched a movie? I've watched a couple movies. Well, I've watched a few. Okay. Uh, one of you go. Um, I watched Ronin, the uh, 1998 uh, movie starring Robert De Niro uh, doing a heist. One of the best movies that exists. Um, this is a movie that I uh, watched in like 2012 and didn't like very much. And then always thought, why didn't I like it very much? That seems like it should be like mo- the most thing for me ever made. And watched it again. And yeah, no, it is. It's just the, they made this movie for me. I don't know. I was having a bad day in 2012. It wasn't like I didn't like this kind of movie back then. Um, it's just like, what if the uh, 90s Diploma Mission Impossible movie was like even more uh self-serious and cool about it <laughs> yeah um it's a great time it's very no thoughts head empty in terms of like <laughs> the themes of one of these movies it's just a very great clockwork one of these to watch play out um had a fantastic time with it yeah uh does destiny want to go sure i watched um james whale's very bad 1932 film the old dark house uh it was just kind of a mess i thought it was going to be universal horror creepiness and it was just let's just have a movie take place during a thunderstorm in a creepy house and not have much of anything happen that's interesting that's a shame yeah it had boris karloff that wasted him um I mean, he, I guess he was kind of spooky. He was a spooky butler. He was he had some creepy face makeup going on, but it just wasn't a very good movie. I also watched, uh, rewatched, as I do most Octobers, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Holds up, still good, still spooky, still unbelievably uh, brutal ending. Um, and I rewatched Haosu. Uh, the 70s psychedelic kind of haunted house movie loosely based on Snow White which is always a cla- like it's, it's just a good time nice yeah uh, well with that I guess we should get into our episode I will want to say we are recording on Skype uh, this time so if the audio is because our audio we could not fix it last time so the cutting out um and so we're going to try this. If this is also busted, I can't tell. Uh, you'll find out when we put the episode together. So fair warning if the audio is a little dodgy. Yeah. Because uh, uh, being Skype, listening to it, it sounds dodgy, but that doesn't mean that our local recordings are going to be dodgy. Uh, so it'll be fine. I didn't realize how much better quality Skype had on, on this, this, this just cool until now. Maybe it's worse because it's a group call also, because I feel like I've talked to you on Skype has not been this bad. But yeah. um, 
We'll see. Oh, I also watched the uh, 1970 uh, historical epic movie Cromwell about Oliver Cromwell of the English Civil War, which the, is the hilarious. The guy from Babe, right? Yeah, the guy from Babe. Exactly. That's the one. <laughs> uh, the guy from Star Trek First Contact. The guy who's like, uh, you know, uh, made the robot who says, yes, detective, that is the right question. <laughs> yeah, he goes up to uh, King James I and he's like, yes, King, that is the right question. Uh, it's it's a ludicrous movie. Historical epics are like comedy at the best of times. This is a bad one, uh, which means it's even funnier. I posted a clip on Twitter. After watching all of your tweets, I implore you to watch Barry Lyndon, which is just this but on purpose. I almost clicked on Barry Lyndon and was like, I don't I'm not in the mood for a good movie right now. I'm a kind of bad one. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I had them I literally had them both in front of me and was like, I don't know which one to watch. Because so there's a whole sequence in this where like they go to war, but it's the English Civil War, so the war is like te- you know, eighty people in a field. Um or which a field is like in England. To, uh, f- yeah, the field in England is a documentary about the Civil War. Um and so the, the movies in this they line up the battles line up and then uh timothy dalton shows up as like a fancy Fran- french lad with a sword and he's like hello he's not doing a french accent but he is like from the rhine um fighting uh for the king and uh there's a whole bit where they're like cromwell sees them waiting to begin the fight because the appointed time for the fight is nine, nine o'clock that's when the battle begins and he's like why are we waiting for the appointed time uh it this is a war <laughs> can we please do the war and like shoot at them and then like breaks down it's meant to be a dramatic moment but it, it's literally a widest kids you know sketch where they like the british guys line up and get shot by the americans it's like straight up that <laughs> um and uh yeah very funny the, the the whole concept of like this like noble uh, epic drama but about the like ideological battle between king charles the first and oliver cromwell is like profoundly stupid because uh king charles I is famously a moron and was like not really you know present for all of that stuff that went down on his watch and uh oliver cromwell is an evil evil puritan guy who genocided the irish and he's doing this in between scenes of this movie but there's like one line references to the fact that he's doing to it and they move on to talk about how cool he is it's basically you know uh hamilton in the 1970s but for england Okay, fair enough. Wow, yeah. Um, but I, I mostly enjoyed watching the bad movie, as you do from time to time. I will watch Barry Lyndon soon, because, yes, I need that on purpose, because it is very funny. All right, uh, well, let's get into our movie. Uh, this week, we watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is the 1978 film, which is a remake of the 1956 film, the same name, both of which based on the book The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. This is directed by Philip Kaufman, screenplay by W.D. Richter. It stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright, Jackson. What's this movie about? Uh, this movie is about uh, the body snatchers who <laughs> <laughs> invade Earth. Uh, they are uh, like goo creatures, and the movie begins with them like landing on plants in San Francisco. Uh, and then we follow uh, mostly two people, uh, Matthew and Elizabeth, who work uh, at the Department of Health. Um, Elizabeth's uh, boyfriend uh, starts acting differently, and she she's like, "Why is he acting differently? And what's going on with this?" And Matthew's trying to calm calm her down, do his own department work. Um, but seemingly, there's just more reports of people acting differently, and they it's like something's changed within them. It's like they're not the same person anymore. Um, and uh, they start investigating this. Eventually, they realize that like no, people are actually being replaced by duplicates. Um, the other two characters that get involved uh, in the group are uh, Jack and Nancy Belichick, um, 
and they all kind of like consult with Dr. David Kibner as the obviously not already evil Leonard Nimoy. Uh, who keeps trying to tell them no they must be imagining things they must be thinking things even when like at uh jack and nancy's mud bath business <laughs> there's like a uh weird clone person being grown in one of uh, grown in one of the beds and then uh he disappears and they're like where's he gone how's he how's he is he just walked away and they're like oh you must have been imagining it as they all touched it uh eventually uh the the these people have taken over enough of the city that uh it becomes clear uh, what is happening this is a full-scale takeover and these four go on the run they have to avoid staying uh, like falling asleep because if they fall asleep that's when uh they they're like they replace you with the the pod people that are growing these like plant pods just make people um and they run away and one by one uh slowly like fall uh to uh the the chasing society there's like a moment where oh they're gonna get on the boat and escape but the boats bring in pods it's everywhere there's no escape from this um eventually like everyone's everyone's dead matthew's on his own and it like kind of fades to white as if someone's looking for him and he is we see him like walking through the society now uh assumed because uh uh, Nancy says this that he's he is fitting in uh, by pretending to be taken over, and then in the very famous last shot, uh, he turns to Nancy, who is pretending, uh, and does the alien scream as we realize they have got him too, and th- that's it. It's over. The the pod the 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 body snatchers have won. They invaded. They did it. Uh, yeah, if everyone's a doesn't... oh, go ahead, Destiny. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say that title really uh, nails it. <laughs> I was going to yep. say, if everyone's a pod person, no one is. <laughs> I know. Damn. I guess, I guess uh, you know, Nancy is, is the one last pod person. As the I'd just do year. it at that point. Like, <laughs> I would do it probably way before that, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> well, when they make the pitch and they say it's actually an instrumentality thing and not like necessarily, like your memories and consciousness do live on in some way, I'd go, oh, all right, fine. I'll just go, I'll just become one with the, the hive mind, I guess. So here's the here's the question I have, and I, looking up, I could not find a concrete answer about this. Maybe it's in the 50s version more than this one, but is is the idea of body snatchers inherently like a weird red scare thing? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, right. It de- okay. It depends, because this concept has been used in many movies about many things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is basically a step for wife situation. Yeah, but also I can't help but see, especially in this movie, that it's been transformed into something else about yes. like a, a like slight like pre like right on the cusp of the eighties like idea of society has moved on and is leaving people behind, um, like a, a, a distinctly American alienation that probably is not in the fifties movie, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know about that, but I it is um, interesting how it is applied. Uh, in that way right because the the terror at the end of the movie is that they are all going to their jobs and doing the things they were doing before but they're just not talking there's no life to it they're just cogs in this like machine of industry um and the ending of the movie definitely plays like this is what it's like with communism wins well but but the thing about that that i find interesting is that like it's it's in the framework of this is this is like late 70s san francisco and the like the head, the figure, the mouthpiece of the invasion is a like pop psychologist who is like 
preaching like a, a sort of like placid happiness, right? Like it's yes, it the its anxieties are so specifically American uh, to me, and not like a red scare thing. It's like oh, everyone's going to become anesthetized and just like l- go about their lives and be worker drones for the great American dream, um, in a way that feels distinct from like what I thought this was going to be, which is much more of that thing of like oh, this is the menace of everyone's the same now. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily, I think this movie's like a little smarter than that. And it's just like off, like there's an American version of that that exists. And it's, oh, it's absolutely, the, it's like the precursor of like people who are like really anxious about Prozac when I was a kid or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, and it, it takes the plucky civil servant health inspector to save <laughs> the world. Um, which uh, th- th- this movie I have never thought of the health department as doing anything remotely related to the stuff he does in this movie. <laughs> People just call him to like help them out with dead bodies. Like I would not call think to call the health department. I thought that was weird too. But I also thought it was weird that they were relying on Kimner so much as well as like a voice of reason and a helpful person. Like he's just a psychologist. The movie like plays it no you are meant to know exactly who he is. <laughs> like we well, yeah. uh pretty early on i mean yeah kibner's like a blowhard tv psychologist right like he's pitching books and showing up on johnny carson or whatever um and i think that's like inherent to like they they are moving through like upper class socialite san francisco right Mm -hmm. the thing that's weird about this movie is like the the people who are going through it are like business owners and uh, like upper middle class folks who are in the desolation of the 70s um as opposed to something like, you know, we watch like Wanda, which is about like lower class, working class alienation. This is like the estrangement of the people who already have quote unquote made it and they their lives are intolerable. Uh, it is definitely like interesting the way the the general like both, um, you know, general vibe of 70s like cities, but also the like general vibe of 70s cinema uh, uh, kind of... Um, counterplay with the fact that everyone's got a massive house uncommented on yeah elizabeth like, and matthew's whole vibe is like we're co-workers who just love each other but she's married to this guy who's like <laughs> just this blowhard he's a dentist who sits in his chair and listens to the game on his headphones and that's just too much to bear and she's a she's like struggling and alone because of this it's very funny and uh, and the thing is, it's not like Matthew's like a paragon of virtue. He is like going out and trying to destroy like this French restaurant because he doesn't agree with like their prices. <laughs> like he's yep. finding excuses to shut them down for no good reason other than he's a giant asshole. And everyone is like um, attacked. Like he gets attacked in the first scene. By, like they they fuck up his car, which is then fucked up for the rest of the movie. And it's like you can't deserve that. You just showed up at this guy this like restaurant and uh, clearly. Uh, fucked with them to like frame them yeah and uh get them shut down because he cares so much about health <laughs> uh, uh which is just like in like weirdly broad for the rest of this movie and it gives it like this this like the first half of this movie to me is like comedic and it's a lot of its timing and it's like concerns and anxieties uh and then it just like the when it turns to like the paranoia and horror i think it's better for it <laughs> mm-hmm uh, in a world in which, like, Leonard Nimoy is, like, this TV psychologist and Jeff Goldblum just fucking hates him because he's, he's like, he writes a book every year and it takes me six months to write a sentence. Um, and that stuff is, like, a cartoon. But when all those people are imperiled together, you're like, all oh, right, like, I've invested in them because they are these cartoons. Yes. Um, 
I was surprised at how good like this the character work in the main uh, five is, because um, it is unclear and unimportant when David Kidner is taken over, right? Um, whether he's like uh, taken over from the start, which I think is the implication, but he could have been like you know it, it doesn't matter. He would be acting the same way regardless, at least until yeah. like the turn when it's very clear that the like, he's covering it up. Um, but. At least I believe watching the first scene when he's saying, "Oh, you're all just—it's all just in your head." That is just what he would do. Uh, this is like his job is to like convince people of these things and sell them easy solutions to a world that's, uh, you know, it's not the world. It's it's just a uh, anxiety about marriage. The family unit's breaking down, Matthew. I have to fix it with my books. Uh, and, I have to uh, convince these women that they must go back to their husbands, even if they find them intolerable. I'm doing society a good. Um, yeah, no, everyone is such a cut. God, Jeff Goldblum in this movie is ridiculous. I love it because he is distinctly Jeff Goldblum, but uh, like this is years before the fly, and so he's not like he- like hot Jeff Goldblum. He's like scrawny, nerdy, shitty Jeff Goldblum, and it's really like a distinct difference than how he was portrayed after he blew up as like a name and it yes. really works <laughs> he just it's just yeah, this like dweeb this. who's worried about his like poetry and sitting in a sauna moping as his wife like does actual work uh yes the picture of their relationship you get through like their brief interaction in this movie is really good uh uh, it is surprisingly believable for something that's such clearly a broad cartoon in their mud baths <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet, like a lot of the like structure of at least the first half or maybe like second third of the movie is uh, a series of situations and punchlines where you are thinking don't do x as the person goes and does exactly x at the like worst possible time <laughs> yep don't pick the flowers pick the flowers children well, don't, don't call Leonard Nimoy. He's clearly in on it. They call Leonard Nimoy. Don't leave to go to the other place. She, he leaves to go to the other place. Um, <laughs> like, across every... Like, they, they did basically the worst job you could do if you want to prove there is a conspiracy. The bit where Jack's like, don't worry, I will distract everyone and run off. <laughs> Just immediately going to die. It's very funny. Yes. Yeah, uh, that stuff is uh, great and goofy. Um... And part of that is like, you know, this is like a punchy 70s movie, so everyone talks cool, but in the service of all of these goofy things that are are, are part of this like estrangement of these characters. And that, that stuff works really well. And then they all have to confront the part where giant plant monsters bleed and look like them. And that part's amazing because it's so gross. And I, I was like, oh, this is going to be a movie that's like all about this like growing paranoia. And then we're not going to actually see the pods. And it's just going to be like low key this entire time. And then, you know, th- in the hot springs, a plant man is there and he turns into Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, this movie's going in a whole other direction. And then uh, Donald Sutherland, like, bashes the head in of his double as it's, like, sprouting its horrible mustache. <laughs> it's so the gross. dog with the man's face. Oh, the, the dog with the man's face is dog- <laughs> That was fucked. That was, like, the most upsetting scene in the movie for me. It comes out of nowhere and also is never addressed because it, like, it implies something about that is never ever implied about the, like, invasion right like the invasion is mostly uh the same when it like everyone's doing the same jobs but like standing at them doing nothing right they're like 
surface level uh, appearance of the world afterwards is the same uh, as it was before and that's like the point except there's a dog with a man's face on it out of nowhere <laughs> and only because they both like fell asleep right by the same pod that was then disturbed as it was like gestating right yes as i yeah. assume the implication it was not their like intent but it was oh no it's they screwed up yeah but it implies that the the like drive of the pods themselves is like not as directed as the people who have been turned into pod people claim they are right um Yes. Like, it's just a machine. It's just a machine of replacement. And then once the people have been potted, then they go, oh, obviously this was our intention all along. We had to escape our planet. But it's like, this was just a function of, like, animal behavior. Yeah. And then, like, uh, then anyone says as much. He's like, like, the whole thing of life is survival. This is just what we do. You can't be argued with. This is how we live. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do think that, like, the nature of the pod people um, is a little uh, unclear uh, as the movie goes on as it likes as because um when elizabeth finally becomes the pod person she's like oh it's actually good you should embrace it too uh and they imply that there's like you know some kind of hive mind situation going on here as they all become uh one with all these networks of uh pod people but they're doing too much communicating out loud for that to be true well, yeah, she literally walks in and identifies uh, Matthew blowing stuff up. And if they were had the hive mind, they would all know that he's in there blowing stuff up before he did it. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah, they aren't all connected. Uh, and th- there wouldn't be a PA system saying, like, we're going here, we're going there. Yeah. To spread this around. And it wouldn't be possible to, like, fool them by walking among them. So it's clear there's not actually a hive mind situation. It's just replacing you. So society runs like this. Um which, you know, doesn't make sense exactly with what uh, Lenny says, uh, in, like, to convince them to do it. Mm. Um, but uh, I don't think that, like, matters too much. I don't think the, like, uh, process of this is too important. It's mostly a very good genre piece. Like, the first half's a ridiculous 70s paranoia movie, and then it becomes a full-on uh, horror movie uh, in the in the back half, and the yes. transition is ha- handled really well. Um like I, I I can't tell how much of it is intentionally uh, a joke's too strong, but in some way, like a like light parody of these kind of like seventies paranoia movies, where you know instead of going all the way to the top, it's plant aliens. <laughs> like well, the, the answer thing, is so ridiculous. Uh, the thing that, that like in the production stuff is that they were trying to make it look film noir and okay. like a way to like. Uh, like, like the, the original is like a fifties movie. It's in color, but like, it's, you know, like also about this paranoia and they wanted to push that in like a film noir direction, but in doing so they couldn't help, but like do that in the way the seventies films do it, which is all about like, to me, it's like the epitome of that shot of them walking, just like the shot of their feet as they're walking as a couple down the street. And then all the people are walking against them. And then those people stop and turn and start following them. And you just see the cutaways of the feet as they increase their pace and start running. Like, that is like the epitome of 70s potboiler cinema to me. But this mm-hmm. movie oh, yeah. being in 78 knows that that's what modern yes. film of this type is and is doing that as a pastiche. Like, maybe not a parody, but like definitely yes. broadly commenting on this is what 70s films are about. We're making a, this version of this movie for the ages, like in our moment. <laughs> yeah, it feels very intentional with the. Uh the 70s-ness of it, more than just happening to be made then. Yeah. And uh, Philip Coffin specifically was like, D- can we can we make this movie in- and set it in San Francisco? Will it work if we're in such a progressive and, uh, you know, 
bleeding edge of uh, culture town of San Francisco. We can can this even this city be potted? Which is very funny, <laughs> given that all these people's houses are now like owned by tech billionaires who own apps you've never heard of, right? Like yes, this entire like this entire uh, culture that is represented in this movie is just gone, erased from history. Uh, and like you know, when these kind of movies. Or this kind of metaphor is employed today, it is usually at things like that, like it's a consumerism metaphor, is the fear of communism's gone down, or at least been changed in how yeah. it's applied culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if you want to see a really bad version of this movie, you can go watch The World's End. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a bad movie. It's a bad <laughs> it's a fucking bad movie. movie. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, But also, like, there's a bit in... Uh, in the first like the first 20 minutes of the movie where it is just doing the Shaun of the dead thing where these characters are, like going to work <laughs> yes! and like turning off the radio as like in the background you see people like Staring. presumably pod people chasing down people who found them out uh and like sirens are always going off in the background as they are just going about their day unaware of what's happening around them um in a way that's like really good at being eerie but because of that framework of like i've seen Shaun of the dead like 10 times is also just a huge goof to me <laughs> Yes. Yeah, there's something comical about them being so oblivious and everything happening around them. Uh, I mean, it doesn't like help that uh, you know um, Donald Sutherland just looks ridiculous in this movie, and he's making a face whenever all these things happen. Like, oh, he's such a goofy him. man. He's like <laughs> his his dumbass hair. Like they they had to like put him in curlers every day to make his hair like this, and. <laughs> He's just like this tall, like, you know, bushy haired beanpole man going around yelling about everything. He's just, he's just mad past. about the world in all ways. <laughs> yep. Like, all the people run past and he basically just goes, <gasps> every time, like, oh, how could this be happening? And then, well, like, it has to happen like 45 times throughout the course of the movie until he's like, no, actually, this is happening for real. Elizabeth, you're not making it up. Elizabeth, come to my house. <laughs> I'm going to make you a stir fry with way too much celery. Please enjoy my celery. <laughs> So much celery. <laughs> that did not look like a great, great stir fry. And then she's like, damn, you cook amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I shut down seven restaurants to learn how to cook like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As he's like calling in like her to come work in his lab at 730 in the morning, like, come in, examine this baked potato. I need to know if there's anything wrong with it. And later in the movie, there's a bit where he's like holding up. He's like, there, and someone's like, "There's, there's nothing wrong with it." He's like, "Find something. There has to be something." Uh, yes. Corrupt health department guy. It, yeah, who works in like the nicest like corner building downtown San Francisco, Department of Health. <laughs> it's just, it's just weird. Uh, it's not even like a joke necessarily. It just feels absurd in like the way it's situated in the rest of the movie. Yes. Um, especially like I don't know, like the the way his his entire job feels fake. You, we said this earlier, but it really does. And especially when he's like, oh, "I'm going to call someone." Uh, I, I got a friend who works in you know uh, I forget if he's in the FBI or something, but like I got, I'm taking this hire. We got contacts. We're going to do this in my low level department of health job. Yes, this health. He's like, I've got a friend in Washington. I remember his <laughs> number. I can direct call him. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I know he has a government job as an investigator of some kind, but he is working, like, taking down local restaurants for, like, f- things that aren't real, and yeah. nobody cares about him. He's he's not a person that matters. Yeah. There's this, there's this weird, um, like, recurring theme of wherever they're at, there's a garbage truck, and it, they never actually tip their hand like, the garbage trucks or how they're spreading the invasion, but I assume that's the thing. But, like... His job is not dissimilar to the garbage people going around, like, just picking up all of the, like, the, you know, busted shit and garbage that people throw out. Um, his job is to go into these places and clean them out. Um, and this, like, thankless, invisible job is, like, part of who he is as, like, a character on the fringes of society. Yes. Um, but also that's, like, what enables this garbage truck to spread all the pods in the first place. Like, the way the- in which the, like the idea of what the pod people represent is already taken root in society before the plants showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the garbage man thing's it. <laughs> fun because it starts out and it's like, okay, they're spreading it through the thing. Every time they, they like activate the truck, like a bunch of pores go everywhere. Um, but because they're like pod people, it ends up not mattering as much. It's not like at the, at the start, you're like, is this like an infection? They get infected and then change. Because uh, I forgot pod people. And then the pod show up. Oh, right. Pod people. That's a thing in culture. I know that. So I've heard of this. Uh, and the like um, process of replacement is so much more um, uh, elaborate than I would assume from the like movie idea. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my favorite stuff is definitely the like bits where they think it's just a regular conspiracy because they're just following random people who have no reason to know each other meeting up and handing each other things that stuff's so sick that's when it's the peak of just like this if this was just a regular 70s thriller that would be like half the movie yeah um and you know i eat that up (laughs) uh do we have anything else um, scrolling down the page here, and it's like uh, mentioning the twist ending as being like the super like Darth Vader level surprise it, thing. It's impossible for me to know because the only thing I knew about this movie was the gif Final of Donald Sutherland pointing and yelling. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so famous. Yes. Which I guess like is the proof that that's like that was a thing that stuck with people because like that's what's carried forward into the culture, even if you didn't know what this movie was. Yeah, I remember seeing the end of this movie uh, at my uh, screenwriting class when the way they taught us screenwriting was to show us out-of-context clips of movies. Um, <laughs> incredible way to learn anything. And he was like, oh, look, here's a really good ending of a movie. And I was like, I, I guess. I don't know what any of that means, but thank you for showing me that. Um, we could just watch the movie. We'd have a way better time. Uh, but yeah, I definitely saw the ending. I'm like, I mean, that feels like the only way the story could end. But I know that's not how the original one ended. Uh, how's the original one end? Um, let's have a look. <laughs> they discovered uh, the oxygen destroyer and turn it on the pod people. <laughs> oh, so they actually get rid of the pod people? No, no, no. That's me joking about tidy ends of 50s sci-fi movies. Oh. <laughs> it seems not far off. Okay. Great. Uh, oh yeah, this one seems to be uh, he defeats the pods and then no one believes him, and then maybe yes. the pods are still around. Uh, the guy, yeah. the guy who lands on their windshield at the beginning is the main guy from the original movie. By the way, that's good. <laughs> that's that good. good. That's a good bit. Yeah, I like that. That's real good. Yep. So it wasn't set in San Francisco originally. Um, no, I don't think so. 
That's really interesting because I just thought that was inherent to the whole thing. Uh, yeah, nearby town of Santa Mar- Santa Mira, which I don't even know if it's a real town. I don't think so because it doesn't resolve into anything. Okay. It's it's in yeah. California, but it doesn't have the specificity of like. This one is a deeply San Francisco movie. I've listened to enough podcasts. I know that they're talking about real places. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, which is like a, a fundamental feature of this movie to me that uh, it's funny that that doesn't exist in the other one. The other one does yeah, kind of just I... look like a campy 50s sci-fi movie, though. So This one's classy. It's got the special effects. It's got the <laughs> Donald Sutherland. <laughs> yep. Uh, I had a great time. I just I need to just watch seventies movies all day. It's like yeah, the truth that's in my a, life. that's the thing. It's like even when I'm not like I don't entirely agree with the things they they're like about or like it's like oh yeah, culture has been real different. Uh, the way seventies movies just look, they're, they're like dark. Everyone's grungy and shitty in like this very particular way. I'm like, man, these are the best movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good looking movie. And I know the like you know being really into seventies movies thing is kind of a cliche, but it's it's that for a reason. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not like, universe, like, we watched the right stuff and made fun of that. That's the 80s, isn't it? That's not, yeah, it's the 80s. 80. That is, you know, the 80s have happened when they make the right stuff. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Ringing the bell. Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. We have some questions. If you'd like to send questions, you can do that at podcast out of normalmapping.com. Uh, we have two emails. First one's from Alex, uh, who, uh, let's see. Uh, didn't expect young Jeff Goldblum, uh, who is honestly kind of annoying. I love how I know. I like the way in which he's, he's so annoying. annoying. I, I was in college I once. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I didn't expect him to be in that. I didn't expect Leonard Nimoy to be in that either. Like Leonard Nimoy coming off of like, uh, I started too much pictures the year after this, right? Like he's like in yes. the deep throes of, I don't want to be Spock anymore. Uh, this, that is extremely what he's doing. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Alex's questions, uh, do you think the gross man-headed dog just makes banjo sounds or was that non-diegetic as like a stinger? Oh, I didn't catch that it made a banjo sound. Yeah. It played like the banjo music the, the guy was playing on the street when it shows up. I think it sounds like a banjo then. Uh, I hope that's true. <laughs> um, Here's my embarrassing thing. When you said makes banjo sounds, I thought you meant the dog goes <laughs> <laughs> Gamer brain. Gamer brain. Gamer brain. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Shaking my head. Uh, what if the pod people all talked with banjo kazooie noises, though? <laughs> Leonard Nemo going. <laughs> <laughs> God. So. Um, uh, can pod children grow up? Yeah, oh. Probably, right? I assume so. You would think. Here, I don't see why not. I'm going to write in with a question. Why does Larry Nimoy have a wank glove this entire movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's important no to the safety of a good family unit. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing about, like, oh, it falls off and reveals that he's got, like, a gross pod on his hand. That's not how the pod people work. But he is wearing a leather glove that covers his, like, back of his hand the entire movie. And it's really weird. I don't know. All right. Questions that remain uh, unanswered. I took Uh, it as the children were not pod people because they're like screaming in a way that no one else is talking. They're like about to infest. They're like schools that are busting in to get infected, right? I I guess so. I guess they're being like led led into it. 
Yeah. Yeah, they weren't pod people yet. They were about to become pod people. Um, okay, I guess that makes sense. I was thinking, like, wait, do they just not do it till they're 18 or something? Like, they, like... I don't know. I was thinking too hard in that moment, and and also being like, man, imagine not thinking in this moment that Donald Sutherland's uh, already been got. Yeah. Uh, Tron writes in, uh, asks uh, if we uh, notice the sound design. Ben Burt has a credit on this. He is recently off of a seventy-seven movie Star Wars. Maybe you've heard of it. No. Uh, this is next movie making sound design for this uh, creepy sci-fi film. Yeah. Um, it's good. Uh, I feel like the like the ways in which the movie is like often very quiet and then punctuated is not like scary. Like I didn't, I only jumped like once in this movie. I did, I think I jumped at one thing in particular. I don't remember what it was, but um, it is unnerving. Um, yeah, I was not like particularly. I didn't struggle with this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it wasn't that difficult for me. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite special effect in this movie? Um, okay this is a uh uh weird answer but it is specifically the tiny fake like flowery nosebleed that's coming out of jeff goldblum for that entire scene because <laughs> it looks like he's just got a red bit of paper in there because he says oh my nose is bleeding but it's clearly not actually blood in his nose yeah well he put like some tissue up there at some point Oh, it was just meant to be a tissue that he put up there? Oh, yeah. I thought yeah, it was like yeah. a plant bit of... <laughs> no, no, no. He clearly puts the tissue up there and just <laughs> and leaves it like, up why there. Why is there like a... Because I didn't remember how the like process works. I was like, is he, has he got like a bit of plant coming out his nose? No, oh, no. Completely misread that. Uh, um, whoops. My favorite social effect is probably Elizabeth is crumpling into a husk, which is genuinely the grossest thing I've seen in a while. Yes. For me, it's when they first start falling asleep, all of all four of them, and then they're just getting covered in the nasty, like, webbing of the plant. Yes. I, I found that so unnerving. Yeah, no, that's fair. Itchy. Yeah. Um, Tron asks how you feel about the cynical view of government in this movie. I don't know if I... I think this movie kind of wants to have it both ways because, like, Matthew is the rugged cowboy hero also. At the same time, he's, like, a shitty cop, right? Yes. Um, and him failing to speak truth to power just speaks to, like, you know, you could see a version of this movie where he actually got it done. Um, you know, he's not that far off from, like, a Dale Cooper character in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, just, like, this slightly off government agent who's, like, in a, in a version of an office you understand, but, like, it doesn't function like you think it should. Um, you know. Uh, if you could choose to remove all emotion from yourself, would you do it? Oh, maybe. Maybe. They get me in trouble, but I like them. You're not going to join the pod? I'm not going to join the willingly? pod. No. I want to feel. I, I mean, feel if, like if, they, had... if oh, they're taking over everyone else, I'm joining the pod. I'm not making that difficult. Sure. <laughs> I guess my question is, uh, you know, they're coming from, they're like, oh, our planet was fucked up. We came to this one to survive. Like, what fucked up your planet? Was it you? Did you do it? Is uh, are, Did it the pod you. people do an interstellar? It's like, oh, the future of uh, pod planet is not on pod Earth. It's in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> they did not go quietly into that good night. He's, he's, God, he spends like 20 minutes reading that poem. God, don't, remind <laughs> me of, don't remind me of Interstellar. Fair enough. Uh, all right. That's it for questions. Again, podcast at normapping.com. Next time, 
we're going to watch more paranoid film, I guess. Uh, we are going to watch Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, which I've never seen. I'm really excited about it. It's his first color film. Destiny's been trying to get me to watch this for years. <laughs> it's great. It's a Leopold and Loeb story. Okay. That's good. I like that. <laughs> um, And uh, that's about it. Uh, plugs, Destiny. At Fridge was now. And then my other podcast, Badland Girls, is on abnormal mapping. Is that just abnormalmapping.com slash Badland Girls? It is indeed. Cool. Uh, Jackson. Uh, I am at headfullsoff on twitter.com. You can find the podcast that uh, I do with them at abnormalmapping.com. Go listen to them. There's a whole bunch of cool ones there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Ian underscore Bing, and uh, you can support all our podcasts at patreon.com slash mapping. For $1 a month, you get Gundam. We're starting O8MS team uh, this week and uh, Gunbuster, which is a great show that uh, we have already seen and loved. So I'm excited to talk about that with everybody um, and uh, more stuff besides. So please check that out. Um, until then, movies now more than ever. All right. Really? You're not going to follow that up? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. One fucking job. <laughs> Fine. Do not expect to like him. I don't like you, actually. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>